0: Welcome to the Civil Squared podcast, where we explore civil discourse and the free exchange of ideas. And now, your host of the show, Dr. Jennifer K. Thompson. Hi there, and welcome. Today, I'm going to share with you a conversation that I recently had with Denisha Merriweather. Denisha is the director of public relations and content marketing at the American Federation for Children. And more importantly for our conversation, she is the founder of a project called Black Minds Matter. You will hear her talk about this in our conversation, and we will link to the project in our show notes, but this is something that Denisha founded in 2020 because she wanted to draw attention to the inequities in the education system. She called it Black Minds Matter because she believes that those inequities resemble the institutional injustices in our criminal justice system. As Denisha says, for Black lives to matter, Black minds must matter. You'll hear about Denisha's own personal journey in education, how school choice, as she says, changed her life. And you will hear about how Denisha feels strongly that school choice and the impact it can have on improving educational equality is not a right or a left matter. I hope you enjoy the conversation. So, Denisha, thank you very much for being here with us. You are joining us from, are you in Florida? Florida. Yeah, you're a Florida native. You've lived there your whole life, yeah? Yeah, moved away for a blink and then came back. (laughs) All right. Well, cool. We're glad you could be with us. You know, we have had a number of people on the podcast to talk about education, and it is something that our audience is always really, really interested in because uh, it's something obviously that affects every community. And I think we all know, like a lot of the subjects we talk about, that there are plenty of things to talk about related to education because things are definitely not perfect in our country. Uh, And we're excited to have you on because I know you have a very personal connection. This is not just a matter of policy or talking about policy or whatever for you, this is like a serious part of your whole story, your life. uh, And you can talk about it with a knowledge and a passion that I think a lot of people can relate to, but don't have the experience of. So if you wouldn't mind, tell us a little bit about why education is an area that you work in.
1: Yeah, of course. And it is very personal to me. I often tell people I was thrust into education reform and school choice. Um, growing up I went to my local um, government school my zone school I went to about five or six different elementary schools and I wish that I could say one of them really tapped into my potential and tried to help me socially and academically but that was that's that wasn't my story I grew up in my my biological family has lived in poverty for about three or four generations. Um, and that cycle was repeating itself in my life, I went to my my zone schools, I failed the third grade twice because I couldn't read. <laughs> I just knew I was stupid. I thought I was dumb. I thought that I was incapable of learning. I had very low self esteem. And to mask it, I had a lot of behavioral problems. So I would lash out at students, I got into physical fights, I was disrespectful to my teachers. Um basically looking back, I could say I was really pleading for help. I couldn't read. I went into summer programs to try to get me caught up to my right grade. Nothing seemed to work. I remember vividly in the fourth grade, I was in, I got, I was enrolled into this catch up program where other students who were also behind um, two and three and four grade levels in elementary school. It was, a, it was a program designed to get them caught up to their right grade level. By the end of that year, I didn't pass that class. And so I thought that I was really dumb. I was still, after I finished that fourth grade program, left two grade levels behind of all of my peers. And teachers sighed when I walked through the door. They saw my name on the roll and they are like, okay, another Meriwether." Um, here comes Denisha. And it really, it, it that, you know, that that really stuck with me. I thought that I was dumb and stupid. And it was not until I went to live with my godmother. That was the first thing that changed. I went to live with her permanently the summer before my sixth grade year. And um, she wanted me to go to her church's school, and it was a private, small private school in Jacksonville, Florida. But it was a private school and she didn't have a way to pay for it. Her income was not that much significantly, you know, that she could afford private school tuition. And she heard about the Florida Tax Credit Scholarship Program from a friend. She enrolled. She applied for it. I got accepted onto the program. And that's when my life began to change. I (laughs) walked into this school building and I had my guard up. I knew what I was going to encounter. I knew I was going to encounter teachers who were going to be excited, and I'm using quotation marks when I say excited to see me um, for the first week, but after that first week of school, you know, those smiles would change um, because that was what I was used to, but that wasn't the case at all. I was met with joy and acceptance and um, hope. They saw hope and potential in me that I didn't see in myself Even during the summer, uh, you have to take kind of an assessment test to see where you are academically. And I performed so poorly on the test that a teacher met with me the summer before I started one on one with reading and math. Um, I didn't know my times tables. And she did that. And I, I went from making D's and F's, believing that I would just follow in the same footsteps as my biological family, um, with not graduating from high school, becoming a teen parent, and, you know, walking around aimlessly um, with no hope. And I became the first in my family to graduate from high school. And I went on to college and also earned a master's degree. And it was all thanks to this, this program, the this School Choice Program, that, that, that I was able to, to change the trajectory of my life. And it was thanks to, you know, that small community school, um, this private school who really saw something in me that I didn't see in myself. And every time I didn't believe in myself, they were always there to believe in me. And, um, that's something that I had never gotten before. And, um,
0: it made, it made a difference. I mean, there's so much about your story that I think it's worth highlighting. One of the things I definitely want to highlight is that obviously your story is unique to you, but it's unfortunately far too common of a story. Right. That's right. And I also think, especially for people who have not experienced living in poverty, who have not experienced having their choices constrained by the zip code that they live in, It's important to understand that this isn't like a good versus evil story, really. It's not that there were people, you know, everyone around you didn't, I assume, didn't care about you. That's not true. There were people who cared about you, but didn't have the resources or the choices, as you talked about, to to be able to help. And, And I don't want to put words in your mouth, but would you describe the people who were in those schools that were not serving you very well as people who didn't care at all?
1: So, you know, that's, that's interesting. And I would say over the years, my mindset has changed and it's just because I've been so involved in this. i Not only, you know, benefited from school choice, but had the opportunity to work at the federal level with Secretary DeVos to see things at a different perspective so at first that was my gut reaction as a student as a kid who thought she'd been wronged by the system. That was my um, that was my first reaction that there were not people who cared. there are not people who um, in the system in the public school system who cared about me and um, as in that I, I can't I can't blame those feelings or blame people who feel those feelings because I couldn't read I mean I couldn't I couldn't read it and I failed twice failed the third grade twice but you know now that I'm I'm more involved in the policy conversation. There are a lot of resources within the public school system, and now we know that the teachers' union has such a stronghold, and how those how those dollars, both at the federal and the state and local chapters, have a, such a big say in how those dollars are spent and what they're gonna choose to spend their resources on. So it's not to say that they're not individuals who care. They're burdened with a lot of things that they have to do, especially when you have teachers who are in high poverty, low income high poverty and low performing schools, like the ones that I went to, where you have students who are, you're sitting in a classroom with 25 to 30 students, and they're all going through the same thing academically and socially, when you're trying to educate them. And that would, that's why you think you were hired to just deal with the education. But you also have students who are dealing with things at home, and in their environment, you know, outside in the community, not just in their home, but outside as soon as they walk through the doors of your school. And so there there are a lot of issues and things that happen when you're when you're teaching in those high poverty, um, low performing schools. And we know now I know that there's a bigger enemy or opponent that we're fighting. We're not fighting against teachers. No, because they want the best interest for their kids. They want to educate them, most of them. And we're fighting against the unions that's who we're fighting against.
0: Yeah. The reason I ask that is because I think like a lot of large problems, like societal problems, we can look at things and say, well, there has to be some one explanation for all of this, right? Like it's either parents who don't care, communities who don't care, teachers who don't care, whatever it is. And I think, you know, just in having talked to lots of people who deal with large societal issues, it's seldom the case that the story is that straightforward, right? We want to pin, I think, the blame on something so that then we can figure out how to fix it. And and the the truth is, if there were an easy solution, perhaps we would have solved the problem, right? The problem of why is it that, you know, we can't have um, high-performing schools Throughout the country, as opposed to mm-hmm. just in certain places, so I want to get to, um, and I know we'll come back to your story, and and it will it informs what you have done and what you are doing, but I want to get to the the particularly unique part about what you are doing now. So you you are interested in uh, school choice and how it can improve you know, students' lives, but you're particularly interested, and and this is related to you starting, um, I guess, almost two years, a year and a half ago now, Black yeah, Minds yeah. Matter, yeah, uh, and, and how this is related to inequality, racial inequality, the, the, the situation that you found yourself in of, of being in a school because of your zip code uh, and not having choices. And I think it's important for people, you know, even people who say, well, look, I can't afford to send my kid to a private school. Lots of people have more choices than whether or not you send your kid to a private school. They make choices about where they live based on the schools. I mean, that's one of these things people do when they look at houses, you know, how are the schools in this, in, in this zip code or in this neighborhood? And so let me let you talk about Black Minds Matter and why you think this is particularly also an issue of race and inequality.
1: Yeah, and you know, you're right. When you think about the the most exercised form of school choice is picking where you live. That's the original, you know, form of school choice. If you have the means, if you have the money, you can say, no, I'm not going to live downtown where it's mostly urban. I'm going to go, you know, out to the suburbs where they're, you know, I got a, got a good house and your property taxes pay for this school. And so, um, yeah, you're right. And the thing is the, the the people who are less fortunate they don't have that option to just pick up and buy buy another house in a in a different community and so you're kind of stuck in in schools that you you know might not want to send your kids to um, and yeah black minds matter Started in the summer of 2020, that's when I coined the op-ed called "Black Minds Matter," and it really kind of spun off into this, you know, kind of the snowball effect into what we have now, which is a national movement. We launched our website in February of last year, and um, that's when our official launch was in February. And really, to bring awareness, like you, like you you said, and when you introduced it. to the inequalities in the education system as it relates to for Black students. Um, we have an academic uh, academic gap between white students and Black students that's persisted for as long as there's been an education system. Um, and there's been effort after effort and money, just money thrown at the problem to close the academic achievement gap. Um, and that has not really been met with a lot of success. When you look at NAEP scores, Black students 15 out of 100 are doing math on grade level right now. 13 out of 100 are reading proficiently. Um, and those are, and then when you, civics, only nine, 9% um, are doing the no civics on grade level. And so that those are that's a very sad statistic and so when you think about the school to prison pipeline and you think about how students are just funneled i would say um from the k-12 through 12 system into prisons and we we have this correlation um because then we we have deemed it the school to prison pipeline um and so we know that how kids are performing academically results in their long-term success or lack in or not being successful. Um and so when in 2020 when the whole nation was in civil unrest, we were looking at every organization was basically peeling back the covers, saying, is there any, you know, any remnants of inequality? You know, I, I always bring up syrup bottles. We're saying, oh, you know, this black woman is actually, you know, an inequality and not uh, a, a a great pillar for the black community and and I'm like, have we not looked at the K through 12 education system and all that that entails? You know, with the history of redlining, um, the history of you're not it's not even history. We're still doing it with trapping kids into low-performing schools, and and we just are okay with this. You know, we're okay with how students are performing year after year after year. We're okay with um, black boys being um, ranked in the third grade, but if they can't read, and that determines how many prison beds that they that prisons are going to create. Like we're just okay with all of this, and so that's where black minds matter. I said, you know you know we have to we have to reframe this narrative it's not enough to say that you're going to support black lives and not support black minds um and and if you do you're a hypocrite like if you're gonna say one without the other you're you're a hypocrite and so that's where it where it came from and we've um I've seen a, a lot of success people really love it people are just really excited about it, and um, which is we've been championing people who work in the educational reform space. We've been saying the same thing for a long time, but Black Minds Matter it sounds catchy. And and so um, I am enjoying all the, the new attention and the new audiences we're able
0: to pull in. Yeah, that's awesome. So I want to talk a little bit about what it is you're doing at Black Minds Matter. But before we get to that, I do, I want to make sure we Talk about something that you just said, um, and and as you were talking about syrup bottles and things, I hadn't heard somebody put it that way. But I think it's really important to think if we care about equality, if we care about uh, trying to dismantle those um, those inequalities, to say let's look at things like syrup bottles when we haven't considered something that affects everybody. Schooling yeah. um, is is not great, and I'm I guess I want to ask you one. Uh, why is it the case that that need, I I know you're not saying that there aren't people who have been working in that area because, because we know there are people who have been working, uh, we had Darrell Bradford from 50 Can on Mm -hmm. last year talking about zip codes and about his own experience of being, you know, sort of trapped into a zip code and, 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 you know, his grandmother, uh, I think, you know, Kind of lying about where they lived so that he could go yeah. to a different school um, and, and all the creative ways that people and families try to get around those mm. kinds of constraints. But I, I do think it's fair to say that it is a subject that may have been somewhat off limits for people when thinking about inequality, that, you know, there is a reluctance maybe to be critical of what's going on in public schools, or maybe even, Mm -hmm. um, and I know you've written about this, uh, suggestions that things like school choice, which you're focused on, school choice has racist um, roots. Mm -hmm. Um, So I wonder if you could talk a little bit about why that piece, schooling, um, has not received perhaps the same attention or it's not as okay to talk about it as it is to talk about, um, I guess police brutality, or, or maybe I'm wrong. Maybe that's not the case, but it, no, it seems I think like you're right.
1: Yeah. There's this, I, and I, and I often tell people that when it comes to public education in the black community, there's this loyalty that is, you know, the underpinnings of, you know, kind of the, the, Big support for for public schools, specifically in the Black community, is the loyalty in Brown versus Board. You know, allowing Black students and White students to learn together, and the resources um, with the Freemans Bureau to um, turn uh, independent Black Black schools when it was illegal for Black and White students to to go to to go to public schools into public schools. But it's it, so it's a it's a long history, but there is some loyalty specifically within the black community as it relates to brown versus board with them being with public schools being the largest employer for black um educators and so I understand that and so I can I can sympathize with oh well this is why it might be a little bit hard for you know not to disassociate but to say to speak the truth about what, how these the public education system is really doing academically as it relates um, to Black students, and then you, yeah, you have where it's it's a lot of myth busting that we have to do. But the teachers unions and all of their thousands of affiliates um that have all of these myths that they constantly are churning out as it relates to school choice, and one of them is that school choice is racist. That if you are Uh, promoting or if you support um, school choice policies and programs, that you're perpetuating racism. Um, And that comes from, and I'll just, that comes from because most of the people who have supported or who have been champions for school choice are rich white people. And so there's this trust you know, issue there where it's like, oh, well, if rich white people are behind it, then I I can't get behind it because they're gonna come for me. Or like, you know, I, I, I just can't trust that. Um, but that's not the that's not the case. The case is that this this is a policy conversation. And to get any policy issue passed, in, um we have to have money, you know, and to just say, and I'm just, you know, I don't speaking as, you know, a Black person, but to say that just because someone white is supporting something that's for the betterment of the Black community, that that's racist, would really erase half of our history if we didn't have white people who were of different means and backgrounds to support the betterment of the black community. And I'll just go out and say that because we've had support from white counterparts and other groups um, historically to, to put us in, in, you know, different spaces in the past. And we just can't um, think that, oh, if if it's not black and black, 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 then it's not going to be, you know, right, right. It's not going to be, but I think, you know, that's, that's part of the the story. um, And I I don't think that, you know, it's an end all be all a lot of people, especially when I come in with the message of Black Minds Matter are really receptive because I mean, one is you have to speak truth. You have to let people know like these schools suck. The school sucks. It's been sucking for a long time. It was not doing good when you went to it. Um, When your mom went to it, when, you know, your great granddad went to it, and now you're sending your kids to these schools, and they're still not doing well. So let's try something different. And people understand that people, they, they understand that message, and it kind of it, it really squashes all of the other like, oh, yeah, yeah, you're, you're actually right. <laughs> you're right. Well,
0: you know, it's funny because I think this is an interesting, uh, this goes along, we, we talk a lot about polarization and about sort of political partisanship. And I think it's also the case that people associate school choice with conservatism, um, or maybe libertarianism. But even, I mean, I was looking at statistics on school choice. And I, I read something about 74% of voters support school choice. So it yes. cannot be the case that it's only you know, conservatives or white people supporting school choice. Yes. But it also makes me think that you know if somebody listens to what you're saying and you're talking about school choice and wants to say, well, because you support school choice, Denisha must be conservative. She must be to the right, you know, all these other things. This, I think, is, is a case where we shouldn't flatten out people's personalities and say, well, because you believe in one thing, Therefore, we know everything else about you. We shouldn't make those assumptions. And I think um, in particular, you know, we've had a couple of different people on. Um, we had uh, Jesus Herrera from the Family Independence Initiative on, who talked about making the mistake of thinking because someone is in a position where they need, where they, they would like to change their position, whether it's in poverty. Um, or or all the things that may go along with poverty, like being in a school district, that the schools are low-performing schools. It doesn't mean that those people are helpless, right? Needing help doesn't make you helpless. Actually, Tony Kitchen said that to us a couple months ago. And that there is a whole lot of creativity that goes on in these communities where people are trying very hard to figure something out and trying to find solutions And that that creativity could include something like your godmother did by saying, I'm going to take advantage of this program that exists so Denisha can go to a school that will serve her better, right? Mm -hmm. It's not somebody coming in and imposing that or saying you have to do this. I, I presume she figured that out and she found a way and was lucky to be able to do so and to be in a place where those those possibilities existed. But it's not somebody comes in from the outside necessarily and all of a sudden everybody has solutions. There are people within the communities working really hard and they're not on the right or the left. They're people who just care about their kids and want to see their kids or their goddaughters or their grandchildren succeed.
1: Yeah. And one thing that I forgot to Point out that um, you're, you know, setting up is that. Yes, the programs um, for school choice, they're, they're mostly taken advantage of by minority groups. So black and brown um, people are the most of the school choice programs. I'm talking private school choice programs are um, implemented for low income students or either students with special needs. So they're means tested programs and um, most lo- low income people are mostly minority And so these are mostly minority people who are wanting better for their kids. And in Florida, um, we uh, we just wrote a white paper before the um, before the the 2021 break. Um, about the demand for school choice amongst Black families in Florida, and we found that 100,000 students are participating in school choice programs, both private and charter, and that's more than um, that's more than 30 states have Black students. Period.
0: Hmm. And so
1: we have, I think, Florida is number three, and we so we have the largest, um, the third um, uh, by Georgia and Texas a population of Black families in the state. And uh, one in six of those Black families are choosing to put their kids in an alternative um, program, they're not sending their kids to just their zoned school, they're being engaged parents. And so um, there are so many different things that school choice um, has, you know, there's a ripple effect when, um, when people, when families are taking advantage of school choice, we see that their, their parental engagement increases. I mean, and to, to apply for a charter school, you have to apply you have to put your your kit down you have to make sure they got accepted onto the lottery so there's a level of engagement for private school um scholarships you have to apply for the scholarship check back you know see if you got it and if you did get it every month you have to go to the school and sign them a check so that they can educate your kid you know there are things that that you have to do so it's not only improving the ac- academic outcomes and we've seen studies um to to show us that school choice programs are increasing academic outcomes for students, and it's it's just it's remarkable all the way around. But you're right to just you know dismiss it and say that uh, oh school choice is this or school choice is that, and to not peel back the covers and look at all of the positive benefits that it is actually having, um, not just for Black students, all students. And you mentioned you know creativity. Um, On the Black Minds Matter website, we have the first ever online directory of Black-owned schools. And this is just another kind of like tool in the tool chest to prove that school choice is great. Um, We have uh, 300 schools on the directory. And I love to call these founders, I, I call them education entrepreneurs. These are people who have a passion for education who are educators and now they've taken the next step to own and operate a small business because schools are businesses, they have revenue and expenditures and they're they're doing it for a cause. They want to make sure these kids are being educated and um i just i love their stories and they are able to be empowered and they there's it's a mixture of schools so not just private you have charter we have some homeschool co-ops on the list micro schools virtual schools um and they're able to be empowered because of school choice programs so now we have these people who can create their own schools and um, have philanthropic support, but also have support from school choice programs um, to, to keep their doors open and to educate kids and to provide you know, more options. It's beautiful.
0: It is beautiful. So that's, that's a perfect segue into talking about what Black Millions Matter is doing. Obviously, you are amplifying and bringing attention to, um, as you just talked about, Black-owned schools. Um, but, but more than that, talk about everything that you're doing with Black Minds Matter, even though you've only been doing it for what, 18 months, um, or, you know, a year and a half or whatever you've got, you have generated a lot of attention. You're able to reach new audiences. Tell me more about what you're doing with Black Minds Matter. Um,
1: so our goal is to make school choice sexy, you know, is to, to make school choice into a cultural movement, um, where people can can get behind the mission with a brand or a brand with a mission, you know, whichever way you want to say it. Um, Because we've had a lot of political and um, legislative uh, support for school choice. And that's been our focus. Um, And school choice programs have been around for almost 30 years now. I think the oldest program was implemented in in, uh, 1991 in Milwaukee, Um, 1991 or 90. And that's the oldest program in the country. And so we've gotten to a place we're down to two states in the entire country that don't have a charter or private school choice program. And you know, you know, after after those two states, we are really in the in the business of educating people. So the um, goal for Black Minds Matter is to make it sexy, to let people know that, you know advocating is something that you can do and we need this advocacy within the the education space and so we've been doing a, a lot of swag um hoodies masks hats pins just everything it's 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 awesome and, and people love it you know um giving a have an online store an online market where people can purchase things but also giving away a lot of stuff hosting events gearing up to do a lot of events for Black History Month and then also meeting with um and connecting with like you mentioned the Black school the Black founders to turn them into advocates. These are people who are direct practitioners in the movement. And um, within the education reform space, we've traditionally engaged with parents and um, students and making them advocates and to To do this new thing to make um, founders advocates, to be the conduit for them is pretty exciting work um, and to provide a support um network for them. So many of them have asked for community space. They didn't know that they were a niche of a niche. And so to create the this community group, that's what we're doing this year, uh focused in Florida. Um we're starting out in Florida. And then we have uh three other focused states in and Georgia, Tennessee, and Texas. So yeah. And then of course we have to do political work. And so putting pressure on um people who are, who say that they're for school choice, but they don't, they don't, they're not supporting us legislatively, but then people who are not for school choice and all of their constituents are black and they are benefiting from school choice. And there, um, I tweeted out once it got like over 9,000 likes and, you know, Senator Audra Gibson, um, in Florida, she, has over twenty black-owned schools in her district, and she constantly opposes school choice at the state house in Florida. And so, these are the type of things that we want to constantly bring to people's attention because they don't know. You know, right. they they
0: don't know. Yeah, no, I think that's great. And I, you know, we'll link in um, the show notes to you've got a podcast where you're highlighting yeah. this. <laughs> you've got that on YouTube. Um, And I think, I just think from the point of view of people having more information and more knowledge and seeing the wide variety of these founders and the kinds of things that have have motivated them and what they're thinking about. I mean, I just, it's really amazing. And I think it's great that you're doing that so that more people can see, because that's really important. And as you say, I mean, even legislators don't know necessarily what's happening. So I think it's great that you're doing that as well. I wonder, have you had any kind of pushback Um, in two ways, I suppose. I know that clearly Black Minds Matter is, you know, it's at least an allusion to Black Lives Matter, which is, of course, Mm -hmm. very controversial for many people um, and for different reasons, right? And I'm not saying controversial one way or the other, but for different reasons. Um, Do you have any challenges because of that allusion? But also, do you have pushback from people who might be very, um, aligned with Black Lives Matter, but not like the idea of school choice, right? I can see you could get pushback from both sides, people who are resistant to anything associated or that sounds like Black Lives Matter and people who are not resistant to that, but are resistant to school choice. Yeah,
1: no, it is. It's a very good question. And it, uh, is really funny to me, actually, the two audiences that we attract, um, because, I am I am I just as a disclaimer like a common ground gatherer like I kind of like conflict and I'm weird in that way like I think we should all have you know civil discourse and just be we're with you yeah and so civil squared and um so it is pretty interesting to see the different people that are in our groups because you do get you know on on the left people who pretty much just attract to anything that sounds remotely progressive Mm -hmm. and are like, yeah, Black minds matter. And then when you're like school choice and they're like, oh, Uh, talk to me a little bit more. How is this, you know, (laughs) and are you able to convert those folks? To, you know to advocacy
0: if, for what you're. you're well, pushing? most
1: of it is most of it is social media, and so you have where people are like, you know, in the comment section of posts that you know you post on social media, and it's just interesting. Um, I've had some conversations where it was just tell me more, you know, um, and that's kind of where we left it. I am. Not really. I, I don't really have the energy anymore to try to convert the masses and yeah. pull people out of their tribes. Um, but then on the on the right side, it is it's the same as like Black Minds Matter. Oh, no, that's this, you know, another one of those progressive thing, liberal things. And it's like school choice. And like, oh, that's good. I like that. That's <laughs> I totally see that. I yeah. like that. So it's when I tell you it's it's hilarious. Like I get a kick out of it both ways, but there is um both, you know, they it's uh it's really interesting. Yeah, I just I just either way, it's like people are interacting. Yeah, uh, that's and They're not ignoring
0: us. <laughs> that's important. People are paying attention. Either way, I agree. I think that that makes a lot of sense. Um, so I want to at least just for a few minutes, uh, talk about what's happening today in the news. And just in the past few days, of course, we're going through it's um, January of 2022. Whenever you are listening to this, that's what time we recorded it. Uh, You know, we're going through record high numbers of COVID infections. Uh, Many schools had just gotten back to school last fall. Uh, Even today, I read that um, I know Chicago, the mayor's office, and the public school district have just come to an agreement that will get kids back into classrooms. Yeah. Um, but you know, it's January 11th, not January 1st, and there are still places where kids are not in classrooms. How how do you view that? You already talked about teachers' unions and the impact that they have on decisions that are made. What are you thinking about what's going on right now?
1: Yeah, it's really sad. You know, during COVID, during the peak of COVID, we uh, whistleblowers were coming out and revealing that the teachers unions had colluded with the CDC to keep schools closed, not based on anything that was related to, you know, health and safety. It was political it was all political and um whistleblowers came out and and revealed that and and now you have where randy she just came out with a with an article saying that we she still wants schools to be open we got to get schools
0: open this is randy weingarten the uh, head of the american teachers union i guess the the, it's the largest american teachers union
1: Yeah. And so and then like in Chicago, it's really sad, you know, to have students you you have where the local teachers union had a a online meeting and said took a vote and said, do do teachers want to work remotely had nothing to do with 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 students with academic outcomes for kids and they voted yes um that they'd like to to work remote after you know have an extended holiday and they did um and so after that they were threatened to go on strike you know to and and students still within this same period of time are at home doing virtual quote unquote virtual school which we saw didn't work during mm-hmm. the pandemic during the peak of the pandemic students right now when they got back into the the schoolhouse at the beginning of this school year were a year behind minority students were a year and a half behind and it didn't work it didn't help um and right now our kids are suffering again Um, with all of these school closures. And I I just find it sad because adults, you know, we've somehow figured out a system, our businesses, our places of employment have figured out a system to get us back in the office to take safe and healthy precautions. Um, When if there are cases of COVID to report health, you know, every day or every week, how you feeling, how you doing, and to get back to work. The CDC even came out with new regulations as it relates to COVID to say that if you catch COVID now, five days, quarantine, and then you get back to work. And so I think that, but we can't do the same for our students. Um, We have, uh, uh, we're developing a list at the American Federation for Children of all of the COVID relief dollars that have gone unspent Um, when school districts received all of that money. And um, it's about $3.3 billion that have been unspent. So we're breaking that down to show that those monies were supposed to be spent to keep kids safe, to take every measure possible, to make sure that kids are in learning environments that are safe, so that they can learn. Um, And the default right now is to just close the school building to give them a laptop, we saw that kids, some of them, didn't even have internet at their houses, and that that solution is not viable. That's not a good solution, um, and it's it's really sad because our the kids who are suffering are our most vulnerable kids.
0: Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. I, I it is really hard to see all of this, and I know um, I mentioned Daryl Bradford. He was on. Close to a year ago, um, and we talked about and Mike McShane as well talking about how how we haven't gotten better at this yeah. in the course of a year, and now we're two years into it, right? So um, it is it is really distressing. Well, I want to also make sure that we provide for our audience, people who are listening to this wherever they are in their cars or out jogging or whatever, who who are very much um, concerned about their communities and concerned about the quality of education in their communities, whether at the municipal level or at the state level. And I think, you know, we have people who are going to be sympathetic to legislative action or whatever, but there's also a whole bunch of people who, you know, they're not going to go out and advocate Um, politically, but do want to do something? What are things that people in our audience can do, everyday people who have limited time, but definitely care about this, can do to support the work you're doing, to to do things that actually have impact, um, and to not feel helpless about, about the situation?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think you, uh, you summed that up quite well. Advocacy looks different for there are a lot of different levels of advocacy. And, you know, yeah, we're used to seeing people right now. Big thing is people are going to their school board meetings and testifying and letting them we saw that in Virginia. But there are a lot of different ways. And I would say, in my opinion, the most impactful thing that an everyday person can do is have those at the kitchen on the porch conversations with your friends with your neighbors with your family um about the inequalities in the education system and to not just be okay with that we have those conversations when we're talking about you know oh what school are you going to send jimmy to next year oh he's going to that school but to to have a deeper look i wonder you know why is that school still failing like would you ever send your kid to that school no I never would send my kid to that school why not and so to just have these conversations and not to just be okay with oh I'm not sending it. To go a little bit deeper in those every day at the kitchen table on the porch you know conversations because that's who that's who we interact with. We're not interacting interacting with lawmakers every day, and those simple conversations can really change the hearts and minds um, of people. Me engaging with people on social media will probably not <laughs> change their mind, but if their if their friend, you know, was to say like, "Hey, I actually couldn't send my kid to this school because it wasn't doing them well, and I had to send them to a different school. I wish I had the money to do that." this will really help me that that's pretty impactful. The next thing, you know, selfishly, you know, putting in a pitch for black minds matter. You can go to our website. Do, yeah blackmindsmatter.net sign up for our newsletter follow us on social media as we continue to you know grow and and get bigger our legislative action and our uh, our ability to get into the community your support is definitely going to be you know very much appreciated and um, there is a donate button on that
0: website too so if you want to support in that way you can do that also <laughs> absolutely and we will link in the show notes to the website, as well as specifically to the podcast, YouTube, and your social media so people can see that and they can follow you because that is a good way for people to keep up with the work. And uh, just, we want to say thanks so much for being here and for sharing your story and for sharing the work that you do and also for supporting the kind of work that we do in suggesting that those conversations have a significant impact because too often we overlook the things closest to us. And I think it's really important um, that we all engage in those kind of conversations. So thank you very much for your time and thanks very much for sharing your story. We will link in the show notes to the black minds matter website, as well as our social media and some articles that Denisha has written and some pieces about the work she is doing. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. As usual, there is plenty to think about here. I know that for me, I will continue to think about the issue of school choice. But having had this conversation with Denisha and seeing her speak um, several months ago when I first met her, I no longer think of school choice as a policy issue or as a legislative issue. I have had to think very carefully about... What kind of choice I think is important for children in this country. And I know that I am very fortunate to be in a position to have many choices about my children's education. But I also realize that I am probably in a very small group of people who can make choices about where they live, about whether or not to send their children to private schools. And I think it's important, as Denisha says, to be talking every day and with people all over about this matter, because it's easy to think about being fortunate. It's easy to think about being in a position uh, to have choices. It's a lot harder to be honest, I think, about how few choices many, many people in this country have when it comes to education. And as someone who believes that choice is really important, it's probably not enough just to be grateful for the choices that I and my family have, but to be committed to ensuring that other children and other families also have the ability to make choices as well. And clearly we're not there yet. Uh, And that is a difficult thing to think about But perhaps because of that, even more important to think about and to discuss with one another. I hope that you will discuss this issue, as Denisha suggested, with the people in your life. And I hope that if you enjoyed the conversation and you found it worthwhile, that you will take a moment to rate the podcast and write a review for the podcast wherever you are subscribed to it. That will ensure that other people are able to join the conversation as well. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope to see you again soon. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Civil Squared podcast, where we explore civil discourse and the free exchange of ideas. We'll see you next time for another conversation.